Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Morning, beautiful church. It is so good to be here with you today and all of our live streamers. I love that literally this world is coming into this room right now and this room is going out into the world. So I love that our church is way bigger than you even realize because people from all over are joining us right now. Well, my name is Penny Maxwell, so if I have not met you before, um, I just want to welcome you. My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors here, uh, and we are also both a part of our teaching team. For those of you who may be new, what that looks like is that all of our campuses all across the city, we have live teachers and speakers that are on the platform right now. We are not a video venue church. So when you come here, the screen's not going to drop down, and I'm not going to pop up on there. I get to be here live and in person. Uh, And Pastor Troy is actually in um, Scottsdale, Arizona, and Phoenix, speaking at a church there of 30,000 people. So uh, Tommy Barnett and Pastor Luke Barnett, uh, they have a church, amazing church out there called, um, what is it called? Dream City Church is the new name of it. Um, But it was um, Phoenix First Assembly of God. So it's amazing, amazing church there. And um, so we have Pastor Michael at our South End campus today and then Olin Carter at Lake Norman. So we're, we're pretty much spread all out today covering. Well, we have been in a series called Craftest Dummies. Um, And I love this series because I think there's a lot of relationships that are crashing Um, not because couples don't love each other, but because they don't know how to drive the right way. So we're going to talk about that um, literally all month long. And on the 29th of February, we only have a certain number of spots still open. But on the 29th of February, we're doing a vow renewal and then having a cake reception after that Saturday night service. So if you want to do that, you can sign up for that. But there's only a few spots left, so... Make sure that you do that. So this series is all about relationships and what is going right and what is going wrong in our relationships and how to fix the problems that we have been having uh, relationally, why we are having crashes. And as I kick this off today, I just want you to know I'm going to give you 10 things of why relationships are crashing, why marriages are ending, what has happened. So Um, The guys told me they like it when I give numbers in 1 to 10. That way they can follow, they can understand. They said, just give us a list. We need lists. So I'm going to give you your list today. Um, The first one that we're going to talk about uh, literally is communication. Trouble communicating in the marriage. But honestly, all 10 things that I tell you today are all about relationships and communicating. So every single thing that I'm going to point out to you, you can find its origin in a problem communicating somewhere or another. Now, our military understands and knows that in order for them to win a war, they have to go in uh, an enemy territory, and the first thing they do is they knock out the communication systems. If they can knock out the communication systems, they can cause division 
They can divide and separate, and then they're able to conquer. Our military understands that, and we also know that if someone is battling against us, they will do the same thing, try to take out our communication systems, which is why the military developed uh, something called TACMO, T-A-C-M-O. That way, if they are under siege and their systems get knocked out, they have backup systems. If the military understands that, how come we sometimes don't realize that when the enemy is trying to take us out, trying to take our marriages out, he's going to go right for the communication. If you can take out communication, you can literally destroy a marriage. So we're going to figure out how to fix that and how to get things working the right way. And I just have to tell you, um, for those of you who do not know, Pastor Troy and I have been married this year. will be 28 years. We have been together, yes. We've been together for 31 years, and um, we haven't always had the easiest time communicating for several reasons. First, our backgrounds are very, very different. Um, one thing that is the same is both of us grew up in dysfunctional families, but they look different dysfunctionally. His mother was a drug dealer. His father was an alcoholic. Uh, he grew up in the projects, uh, and so he had issues associated with that. Um, his father had sexual addictions as well as the alcohol and drugs. Um, he grew up as a latchkey kid, and he had to take his clothes to the laundromat because they didn't own a washer or dryer with a roll of quarters. I grew up, um, my father was also an alcoholic, um, not present in my life. My mom remarried, and I had a stepdad who was a very wealthy man who was never home because all he did was work. And my family, um, when they talked about communicating, it was whoever was going to talk over the other one, who talked the loudest, who interjected the most. And Troy's family, it was, you don't talk about anything. There are no problems. Everything goes under the proverbial rug. You don't speak about it. You leave it alone. You, you, you just keep it hidden. I wasn't even allowed to wash my clothes. We had somebody come in that would wash the clothes. I wasn't even allowed to touch the washing machine. And I never washed not one thing until I went away to college. We grew up completely different, but both were completely dysfunctional. So you put two people together with different backgrounds who are male and female, who also are wired very differently because of that, and what you have is a recipe for disaster if you don't understand how to communicate. So a good chunk of our marriage would look like this. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I got him. He's, he's here. I'm going to give him everything that I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, everything I'm processing. Like all of this deep intellectual heart stuff. I'm going to give it to him because he's here and, and he's available. And I would start just unloading all of the, um, my emotional intelligence onto him. Like all the things I'm walking through, hurting, the deep levels, and I watch him just glaze over. <laughs> this is the majority of my marriage, right? He's glazing over. And I told him, I said, listen, Troy Maxwell, you need to understand something. That if you're going to pretend to listen, you at least need to blink your eyes because I can tell. Like, you're looking at me like, oh, oh, yeah, I need to blink. I said, babe, 
I know you're not listening to me. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm listening. I go, no, 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 you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. You are not connecting. You are not engaging. So everything I'm going to give you today is everything I wished I'd have known or everything I'd learned in the last 28 years of pastoring people. One of the things I can tell you about communicating is women, if we want our man to go with us and communicate and go deep, one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to set time to do that and prepare him. You think I'm kidding. Your husband will tell you this is the truth. If I can say, hey, Troy, Tuesday at 5 o'clock from 5 to 5.20, can we, like, sit down? There's some things I really want to share on my heart. Then that allows him to mentally prepare for that. And if I say from 5 to 5.20, he knows there's an ending time. And she's not going to go on and on and on for two hours. And he's not going to feel trapped. Now, as a woman, the tendency is to go, he should just be available when I need him emotionally. He should be able to connect. He should be able to hear me and understand me. Men aren't wired that way, ladies. And if we don't understand how each of us are wired, we are going to have crashes. And they will be often. It's the same way, um, whereas women, here's the thing I want you to understand. Men are physically immodest and emotionally very modest. Women are the opposite. We are physically very modest and emotionally very immodest. We are opposites. We don't all gather in the shower at the locker room and just like high five and chat. Women, we're like trying to change under the towel and slide stuff down so nobody can see us. We are very modest when it comes to our bodies. Men are not, okay? But men are very modest when it comes to bringing things up emotionally and talking. You're not going to hear a group of men sitting at lunch going, John, tell me how you feel. John, let's go deep. John, talk to me about what's happened in your life. They don't do that. It makes them uncomfortable. Just like women, we have to understand when it's time to be intimate, guys are just like ready. They're, they're ready to go. And, and the girls were like, are the lights off? You know, is the door locked? Have the kids been asleep for five hours? Because, because of that physical protection. So we have to understand how each one is wired so we don't get upset. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. Women, when your husband wants to have sex and you say no and you shut him down, it actually attacks his self-esteem. Your husband would never tell you that, but men's self-esteem is way more fragile than we as women understand. As a matter of fact, I had this conversation with my husband one time. I said to him, why is it so hard for you to unzip your heart and just show everything that's in there? And he said, well, because men always want to look good in the eyes of their wife. And I said to him, I said, Troy, do you think that's weak or something? And he said, yes, men perceive that as weakness. And I said, no, 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 let me tell you from a woman's perspective. Weakness is something that we find out by accident because you don't give it to us. Vulnerability is what you give us, and you serve that up to us, and we are putty in your hands. 
It is something that you choose to give us. You want to have a healthy sexual life, men? You be vulnerable with your wife, and you watch what happens. That's a freebie for you today. <laughs> the other thing I would like to say is, is, husbands, when your wife shuts you down and says no, and the way that it makes you feel and affects you is the same way is if you were to tell her, no, I'm not going to sit and have a conversation. No, I'm not going to share hearts with you. It shuts her down and it makes her feel unloved. The number one need of a man is to feel respected, to feel honored. The number one need of a woman is to feel secure and to feel safe. And when we don't do what the other needs, we are literally saying to that person, your needs don't matter. Now, the difference is, is because of our wiring, we see things differently. Uh, women often don't understand why men have the sexual drive that they do. And so we're thinking when, when our husbands come to us, and, and this whole talk today is in relationship to marriage. So I'm talking to married people, but at the same time, if you're single, you need to know this stuff. And these things apply in every single relationship that you will enter into. So don't check out if you're not married. Learn this stuff now so you don't wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? All right. So when a husband comes to a wife and wants to engage um, in physical intimacy and a wife says no, it literally affects his uh, self-esteem. In the same way, when a wife wants to come and talk and share with you deep things and you say no or you disengage, it makes her self-esteem suffer. So if we want to have a healthy relationship, we have to understand how each one is wired. And not when your husband comes, seriously, didn't we, didn't we like do this yesterday? Like again, for real, let me give you the stats on a robust marriage. Now, they, things do go down as you get older in these stats, um, literally and figuratively. So we're going to talk about that because this is real-life stuff that needs to happen, and church needs to talk about it. We want you to learn things today that you can apply tomorrow in your relationships. We want you to hear Sunday what you can apply on Monday. So um, if you were to ask marriage counselors... They would say a healthy marriage um, would be two to three times uh, per week. Now, those stats when you're younger are higher. Those stats as you get older go down a little bit. There is a whole different issue if somebody wants to have sex three, four, five times a day, and I'm going to get into that issue in a little bit. But just understand, wives, it is not unhealthy for your husband to want to come to you and to be in intimate. He doesn't want to just use you to him. That is connection, okay? Now, husbands, let me give you a clue. It is not easy for women. We do not detach and compartmentalize like you do. So what can happen in relationships, because there is no such thing as sexual problems in a relationships. It's a communication problem that shows up in the bedroom. Everything in your marriage rises and falls on your ability to communicate or lack thereof. So what happens in a marriage relationship is when the husband is wanting to engage in sexual activity, 
the wife carries the entire day with her. She cannot detach and compartmentalize like you can. So if you guys were fighting, you know, two hours ago, she's still holding on to it. Even though you may be ready to go, she is not. You may have started patting her head and rubbing her arms, you know, like 20 minutes before. But that's not how she works. She's more like a crock pot. Right? She's not a microwave oven. She just needs some slow warming up. And so if you're saying kind, sweet things to her all throughout the day, that will help her later. But she is not going to respond if there has been disconnection all day. And then all of a sudden at bedtime, you, you want to be nice and say hello. Okay? <laughs> so I'm giving you that. And I want to read to you as we go into this what a healthy picture of marriage looks like from the Word of God. Ephesians 5, 25. It says, And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does is designed to make us mature. You see, some people think marriage is just to make you happy. Marriage is not to make you happy. It's to grow you up. Close proximity in a relationship will grow you up. It's for a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him. Glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Husbands have the obligation of loving and caring for their wives the same way they love and care for their own bodies. For to love your wife is to love your own self. No one abuses his own body but pampers it, serving and satisfying its needs. That's exactly what Christ does for his church. He serves and sacrifices us as members of his body. For this reason... A man is to leave his father and his mother and lovingly hold to his wife, since the two have become joined as one flesh. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. So every married man should be gracious to his wife, just as he is gracious to himself, and every wife should be tenderly devoted to her husband. That's why trouble communicating will always erode away at our relationship because we're meant to do this joined together as one. James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. What happens when it doesn't go the way the Bible says? The walls go up, the tensions get high, and we begin to pull away from each other. And instead of seeking to understand, we are seeking to be understood, and we are not listening. We are waiting to talk. And we began to detach. And it is really hard to connect to each other when we start disengaging and detaching 
because we're not getting or understanding each other. One of the best things that Troy and I have ever done for our marriage is learn about the differences between men and women and learn about the differences in our personalities uh, by doing the Myers-Briggs and then doing the Enneagram. If you have not done the Enneagram, do the Enneagram. It has saved us so much in our marriage. I wished we would have known earlier on. So I'm going to go into the next point, but as I do, is understand when a wife feels safe, she will give sex. When a husband feels safe, he will start talking. That is how it works. So again, I'm going to number two, but everything I'm talking about is in regards to communication. So number two is handling money. Did you know that each person has a different language they speak when it comes to money? Let me give you the scripture I put with this, and then I'm going to tell you why. Proverbs 21.2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Now, Pastor Troy and I are different in how we spend and look at and perceive Money, And I want to give you the four different money personalities. And I want you to see if you can find yourself. The first is the driver. The driver. Money to a driver means success. Money um, means more competence. More money, more competence. More money, more protection. That is the driver personality. Then there is the amiable. What is the amiable? Money means love to an amiable. People and relationships are the focus of their money. In other words, when a money gets, uh, when a uh, amiable gets money, they say things like, "Let's go to Disney World. Let's take everybody out. Let's go to the movies. Let's have popcorn. Let's get a slushy." That is an amiable personality. That is my husband. I am the next one, an analytic. Money means security. Money wards off problems. Analytics are very structured and planned. Money means security. Can you see the two differences in us and how that could cause issues? All right, the last one, the expressive. The expressive. Money means respect. It allows me in certain social groups. It means acceptance. It means I get into the country club I want. My kids can get into the schools they want. People who are expressive are connectors and bridge builders through their finances. Now, I would have told you in the early stages of our marriage that the way that I handled money was right and the way that my husband handled money was wrong because I did not understand there were four different personality types when it comes to money. I only stood there was my way, and I thought my way was the right way. And I could even give you scriptures to back up and prove of why we needed to save, why every single penny should always be budgeted, why we shouldn't have all this fluff to go and do all this stuff in our finances. We should be direct and aim and hit targets and goals because that's what you do. Here's the thing. My house was safe for my family and my children because of the way that I handled money. My house was fun and we had a good time because of my husband. Both of those were needed. But earlier on in our marriage, I thought my way was the right way. 
My kids aren't going to grow up and go, you know what? I'm really glad mom budgeted everything. I'm so glad she was tight with things because there is a nest egg and they can plan well. No. My kids are going, dad is so fun. He was always, let's go to the movies. Let's get extra butter tonight. Hey, do you want a new outfit? Let's go out and get you a new outfit. What I'm trying to tell you is that there's room for both of your money personalities within your marriage. We all have a primary and a secondary, and most of us, our spouse is different. Why? To get on our nerves. No. <laughs> That's not really why. Our spouse is different because it brings balance if we understand the purpose. Now, what, what was happening in our marriage for a long time is that our strengths, look at it like the points of your fingertips, and your weaknesses are the cracks or the crevices in your fingers. What was happening is our strengths were hitting each other. They weren't complementing each other. They were competing with each other. Until we allowed our strengths and our weaknesses to come hand in hand, we did not get the accurate picture, and it caused problems in our marriage. Do you know how many couples are divorcing? Not because they don't love each other, but because they're fighting and arguing over lack of communication, specifically around money. What if we could turn the tides on that and realize that each spouse has a part to play if we learn how to be healthy and communicate? The next one I want to go to is um, unhealthy boundaries. Marriages are crashing because of unhealthy boundaries. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. Listen, if we don't have our boundaries in place and we do not have God at the foundation or at the bedrock, your marriage will not last and it will not be healthy. We have to build on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then after that, after it's Jesus, then it's the marriage. Not family second, marriage second. The husband and the wife are to come, that relationship, before the relationship with the children. Why is that? First of all, it's the order you see established in the garden when we were created. Adam and Eve were a whole unit before they started to have children. If your marriage is not healthy and is not set on the bedrock of Jesus Christ, your family will not function as it should. That marriage relationship is like an umbrella that covers and protects the rest of the family. Now, one of the things that I see happening a lot is I see women who are more interested in caring for their children than they are for their husband. And whether we intend to or not, it will create problems and jealousy within the marriage of the husband feeling that he is not getting the time that he needs. Often we see the husbands treating the, the job as the other woman, and he's more married to his job than he is to his wife. This can even happen in ministry. And my husband would tell you, he would say, I love the church, 
but I'm not married to the church. The church is God's bride. I'm married to my bride. And so we have to set boundaries and be healthy even when it comes to things that are good. Charity or athletics or carpooling, those are not bad things, but out of priority, and they are not good things. We are empty nesters now. We have two kids that are married, and our youngest is in college. And had we have not made our marriage a priority, we would not know what to do with ourselves right now because everything would have been about the children. So we had to get that straight if we're going to thrive all the way through when the children are no longer in our house anymore. So healthy boundaries are a big deal. Healthy boundaries could also look like um, a wife who is calling her mom when she gets in a marriage issue and trying to get advice from the mom and from the sister. Healthy boundaries looks like stopping that. Your mom or your sister or your best girl should not be involved in the problems of your marriage. Why do we do that sometimes and make those boundaries unhealthy? It's because we want somebody to agree with us and make us feel better. And we know that they will, which is why you don't do that. If you need help in your marriage, you get a counselor, you get a neutral third party, you get somebody at the church, your life group leaders, but you don't go to somebody, A, that is related to you or B, that is dealing with the same issue that you're already dealing with. Just because they went through five marriages doesn't mean you need their advice on how all five went wrong. You go to what you want in life. You go to somebody with a healthy marriage and you work that out. Husbands, you're not mama's little boy anymore. Mama can't call you and get you to come fix this and do this and do that and you leave or neglect the responsibilities of your household. You are married to your wife. Mama needs to be another woman in your life, but not the woman in your life. And I'm saying that as a mama who has children that are married, I am not first place anymore. When my son got married, his heart went to another, and I have to be okay with that. It's healthy to leave and to cleave. You know what I'm saying? All right, let's keep, let's keep going. Um, number four, number four, um, what is causing marriages to crash is broken trust. Broken trust. Ephesians 5.3 says this in the word. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. What does that look like? It looks like for anything from infidelity to, to continual habitual lying, to poor spending habits, um, um, not working a job that is taking care of your family and always causing insecurity there, um, struggling with pornography, being absentee in the relationship. All of those things will erode away and break down trust. Now, let me, let me have this conversation with you for a minute. I'm going to stand up, and I want to look you in the face, and I want you to understand something. When trust is broken, let's just take infidelity. Your spouse has a biblical right to not engage back in the marriage. Biblically, there's two outs. There is you die or you're sexually immoral. Those two things, your spouse has a biblical right to leave the marriage. But 
if both of you, both of you are committed to walking through the marriage and getting healthy, there is a higher way. God can restore anything that has been broken down and shattered, but both partners have to be committed to do that. What does that look like? Let me give it to you practically. Uh, I'm going to use an example of a husband who has um, been unfaithful to his wife. But can I just let you know that statistically right now there are more women cheating than there are men? It's the first time in history that it's flipped. What is the reason for that? There's two reasons. One, because women are in the workforce in very high numbers and the chances of encounters with other people are higher. The other is because there is an unhealthy, independent spirit that has been bred into women of ain't no man going to tell me nothing. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I'm going to save that one. But let's just um, take a scenario where a man has stepped out on the marriage and the wife is struggling. She's hurting. She doesn't know if she wants to continue in the marriage. Let me tell you uh, some signs to look for. The first thing I want you to, to look at is how did you come to find out? Did he get caught or did he come clean? The statistics for somebody coming clean and wanting to repair their marriage are way, way higher than somebody getting caught. So if they are coming to you and confessing a sin and you did not catch them, the chances for the repair of your marriage are very high very high if you're willing to walk through forgiveness and you're willing to walk through what it takes to walk through. Now let's talk about the I got caught thing. You can still have a marriage repaired, but let me just tell you when somebody gets caught, you are not going to get the whole truth right, right away. Because inside of them, they're still trying to protect the lie that they've been living. And when they get caught and they are approached, they haven't necessarily walked through already the repentance stage. They're like a deer in headlights. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm exposed. So what happens in that scenario? It's, I'm telling you, you will not get the whole full story right in the beginning. It will take a little bit for things to leak out as you put your finger on the situation. But in this scenario, again, we're, we're pretending like it's a husband. Husband, you better come fully clean because you will not repair that marriage if you do not come completely and totally clean. If she asks how many times, where, with who, when did it happen, how did it happen, what were you feeling, what was going through your mind, you tell her everything she wants to know. She would rather you hurt her with the truth than hurt her with a lie. Give her everything she needs to know because if you don't, there is no help for your marriage. Healing cannot even happen unless there's full and total transparency. Now, what happens after transparency? And it takes a while. When somebody gets caught, you're not going to get it all initially. I need you to understand that. Okay? There's going to be a trickling effect. What happens next? If both partners are committed to walk through the hurt, the pain, the anger, the frustration... The next thing you do is the partner who uh, created the breach needs to immediately get into counseling. 
every single week. If this happened to me, and I say I was married to you, and this happened to me, you would not come back in my house, you would not come back in my bedroom unless your hind parts were in counseling every single week. Why is that? Because you show your willingness by the depth and the ability that you're able to get the help that you need. You don't go to counseling, you're not ready to change. But counseling's expensive, so is divorce. Because <laughs> you do that to me, I'm taking you for everything you got. I'm just letting you know. I ain't playing. Not after the scars on this body or birthing three babies and uh-uh. No, you're going to go get a, a younger model that doesn't have the mileage? Uh-uh. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, that's something girl, girl don't play. But let me just tell you this. God can repair what has happened if you are both committed to it. God can fix it. But you better be in counseling. The spouse that didn't commit the infraction, you better be in counseling too because you're going to have to learn to forgive. That's another one that we're going to walk through. You're going to have to forgive and not hold that over their head the rest of their life because you will not get wholeness and healing unless you walk through that. Now, let me explain something to you in regards to this. Your wife, again, we're assuming that it's the man in this scenario. Your wife better have every passcode. She better have an app on her phone that tells her where you're at, where she can look and know that you're at work like you said you're at work. And if you say no or if you don't agree to give all the passwords, you are not willing to do what it takes to get help. Bottom line. Full disclosure. She should know where you are, when you are, until she is able to heal and both of you are able to process and get through the other side. And if you need to reset some boundaries at that point, that is fine. But full disclosure or your marriage will not heal. Now, let me just say that there is a difference between somebody that created um, an infraction versus somebody with a full-blown sexual addiction or there's some sort of intense addictive behavior. That needs, um, that needs intensive therapy. You need to be treated. And we can help you with that here at Freedom House. We are not here to beat you up. We can recommend counselors to you. We can recommend in-house um, procedures you can walk through. We can recommend any and everything you need to help your marriage, but you have to do the hard work. You have to do that. The next one, um, which ties into this, number five, reason why marriages are crashing is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If someone has hurt you or harmed you, whether it's in your past or whether it's in your marriage, you have to forgive in order to move forward. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness deals with the past. I forgive you for what you did, Trust deals with the future. I can forgive you and not trust you yet because trust, you're going to have to earn that back. And that takes time and, quite honestly, a lot of groveling. 
If you've created an infraction in your marriage, you're going to need to be humble. And if they're hurting, you're just going to need to deal with it until they can get the help they need to process through it. So bottom line, bottom line. My husband um, hurt me really bad one time in our marriage. Uh, he's done it several times where he's hurt me because he's a human. But one year, he completely forgot my birthday. Completely. And I grew up um, as someone who was abused physically, sexually. There, I was not ever really taken care of. So when he forgot my birthday, it's like all my childhood stuff was sitting right there too. Okay? See, a lot of the issues that we have in marriage that are explosive, you're, you're wondering why your spouse responded the way they did. It wasn't what you said. It was like 25 years underneath there that hadn't been healed, right? So he forgets my birthday, and, um, and it's about 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, and I'm just waiting. I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he's got some big thing he's doing. He's pretending. No, he, he actually has the gall to say to me, you seem a little touchy today. And that was all she wrote. I unloaded on that bad boy. I said, you know why? Because it's my birthday. Not so much as a card, a happy birthday. I love you. Kiss my foot. Nothing. I got nothing from you. And he was like, oh, my gosh. I feel awful. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Can, can I take you out to eat? Can, no, you can't take me out to eat. For two weeks, I was furious with him because I didn't feel like he understood the intensity of how he hurt me. And I had a conversation with him, and I said, you got off way too easy. You, you just wanted to say, I'm sorry, but you don't realize how deep that cut me. When there's a deep cut, there needs to be deep surgery that happens. So he, he got it because I finally stopped just walking around hurt and in unforgiveness. And I said, I feel like you didn't do enough to try to fix that. The next day I woke up, I had a birthday card on my night side table. It was two weeks after my birthday and it was backdated. <laughs> I, I go down into the refrigerator right by my breakfast. There's a card backdated. I go get in my car and there's a card that drops down from my visor, and it's backdated. And these weren't just like, love you, babe. These cards said, I am so sorry for the hurt that I caused. I'm sorry for the pain. I'm sorry how I made you feel. I'm sorry that I overlooked you. I'm sorry on a day that you should have been recognized that you weren't. I come to work. There's another one on my desk. Let me just tell you, I was able to forgive after that. <laughs> Because if you bury something alive, it does not go away. And I, for two weeks, was trying to bury it alive, but I needed something more from him. But I had to communicate to him that I needed something more. Because wives, we think our husbands are mind readers, and they're not. They're not. But what I have done is I've, I've gotten smarter. And I said to his assistant, I said, put my birthday on the calendar. Please buy my present. Please make sure that he knows. Because truthfully, it was a season in our lives that we're really busy. And he had been on the road a lot. And honestly, I could have been kinder and let him off the hook. And I could have 
said, hey, to his assistant, hey, just help him out in this area. Because I know it's not, he's not trying to say he doesn't love me. He's not intentionally trying to not meet my need. And I shouldn't have taken it so personal. But as a woman, when you do everything for everybody else all the time, sometimes you just want somebody to remember you. And so I was holding on to that. Number six, needing inner healing. Relationships are crashing because they're needing inner, inner healing. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And some of the things that I've already alluded to today will show you this. Things from childhood, things from previous relationships that have not been healed, those open wounds. If you have walked through a divorce, don't pretend that your current relationship is not somehow feeling the, the ramifications of that. If somebody has betrayed you or hurt you in a friendship, don't feel like that your next friendship, that you're completely unscathed. You have to understand that inner healing has to happen because you stop growing at the point where trauma happens. So if somebody in the relationship is acting like a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a 12-year-old when something happens and they shut down, that's something that a child does. Or they run or they escape. That's something that a child does. That lets you know there was a trauma at that stage or age in their life, and, and there was a blip on the radar. And because of that blip, they weren't able to process things in a healthy way. You see, as a kid, you may not have been able to escape your situation, so you, so you shut down. And you've learned that pattern now in your marriage, and now you're in your marriage, and you're shutting down. And that pattern is not going to help you have a successful Marriage. We even have something here called Forward, which is a great weekend, a great class that you can take that will help you get the inner healing that you need. Number seven is pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride crashes marriages because pride is simply an unwillingness to yield, unteachable unwilling to evaluate ourselves, unwilling to see ourselves, always finger pointing, I didn't do that, you did that. The best marriages are two people that are completely walking in humility. And if God himself says that he resists the proud, what happens in our marriages when we are proud? Our spouse will resist us. Number eight, we take each other for granted. We take each other for granted, and this is causing a lot of relational crashes. What's going on here? In the Bible, you see that Jesus is going around in all these different cities. It says he's healing every single person. Those were who oppressed, those who were sick with diseases. He was healing blinded eyes, deaf ears. People were literally getting up uh, from a deathbed. But it says he gets to his own hometown and he could do no mighty work there. Why? Because people were familiar with him. There was a proximity. They're like, oh, I remember little JJ, little carpenter's son. I remember little JJ when he was little. And so they discounted the gift of God that was on his life. In marriage relationships, we can often discount the gift of God that is on our spouse because we're in close proximity. Because we see close in. And so we start getting bored in our marriages. We start looking over the fence and going, the grass is greener. Yes, it is greener. You know why? 
because they're watering their lawn, they're pulling their weeds, they're putting fertilizer and nurturing their lawn. The same can happen for us if we don't take our spouse for granted. The longer that you're married, the easier it is to do this. Don't take your spouse for granted. Number nine, different families of origin. Different families of origin. In Mark 7, 13, it says, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. What does this mean, different families of origin? Let's talk about this for a second. We recently had a Hispanic gentleman and a white American woman um, who were having problems in their relationship. The man said, I don't understand why she is being so difficult. This is so frustrating to me. And she's like, I don't understand why he's being so difficult. And we're like, what's going on? And he said, well, I am from a Hispanic background. We are very communal. And she doesn't understand why I don't want my mother to come and live with us. I mean, she would clean up. She would cook. She, this is how Hispanic families do things. And she is irritated. Can you believe someone would be irritated at the help that would be provided? Helping with the family. And I said, how about we back away from our families of origin and not look at this as a white girl problem or a Hispanic problem? How about we look at this from a biblical perspective and each of you lay your culture down? Lay your culture down. I said, let's go to the word of God. And I read this to you earlier. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. There is no room for your mom in your marriage. There is none. I see this happen over and over again. I see people of different ethnicities marrying, and their culture is stumbling them. Well, this is how my culture did it. I grew up in a black culture. I grew up, you know, in an Indian culture. I grew up, let your culture go if it doesn't line up with the word of God. Kingdom culture trumps earthly culture every single time. And those of you who grew up in a household and in a culture where there was a single mom and the mom had to be, this is an, another very prevalent problem in our culture right now. If you've grown up in a household where there was a single mother who had to be the mom and the dad and had to try to rise up and be both, there are a lot of children that have been produced and women in particular that'll say, ain't no man ever going to tell me nothing. I'm going to have my own money. I'm going to have my own career. I'm going to have my own life. I'm going to have my own friends. I'm going to have my own this. Ain't no man. I ain't ever going to be under the thumb of no man. Ain't going to happen. Can I just tell you that women's lib is not your friend? God already liberated you. You don't need somebody here on earth to liberate you. Women's lib is not a good thing. Why am I saying that? Because I'm a shrinking violet and because I'm a woman who's not bold or upfront? Heck no. I'm saying that because I'm a woman who understands my place. I am a woman who is called alongside her husband. And what the woman's lib movement is doing right now is they are telling you, hey, women... You climb to the top. It doesn't matter if you step on a man. Man has treated us bad for so long. Now it's your time. You rise up, women. 
That is unhealthy and it is destroying marriages. We should be interdependent on each other in a healthy marriage as we both depend on God. This whole I am woman, hear me roar stuff is for the birds. It is not healthy and it is destroying marriages. If you are in a man or with a man who is not doing what he needs to do, ask yourself why you're attracting that. If you're married, you got to deal with it. But if you're not, girl, you cut bait, you keep fishing. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Different races, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic situations will wreak havoc in your marriage if you do not succumb to kingdom culture. All right, number 10. Number 10. This one kind of bites me a little bit because I did this. Number 10 is expecting your spouse to be your everything. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God. There is none like me. I did not mean to, but when I got married, my husband and I, um, I put a lot of pressure on him to be everything that I needed that I didn't have growing up, to fill my voids, to fill my holes. Can I tell you that if you are, are single and you're lonely, you will be married and lonely. If you are single and depressed, you will be married and depressed because marriage does not fix those holes in your life. Marriage was not designed to fix every hole in your life. Marriage was designed to complement who you are, not to be your identity, not to fill every gap or every wound or every hole. So unknowingly, I put so much pressure on my husband and when he would hurt me, when he would forget something or he would say something, it was like I was devastated. Because I, I thought, like, you were going to fix all this. Like the white picket fence, the knight in shining armor. Getting married doesn't fix your holes. Having a baby doesn't fix your holes. There's only one thing that will. Jesus has to meet your deepest need before your spouse can even begin to meet some of the needs that you have. Your spouse was not meant to be the cake. They were just meant to be the icing on the cake. A cake that is bad, even with icing that is great, is still not good. We have to get ourselves healthy and whole. Would you stand on your feet for me? Would you close your eyes and bow your head as we wrap this up today? If you're here today and you would say, hey, you know what, God, I realize I don't have you in the driver's seat like you need to be. And that's first and foremost. Whether you're, you're here in the auditorium or you're watching online, would you just lift your hand up and say, today I want to put God in the driver's seat. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. And then there's those of you here or watching that would say, I need God in the driver's seat of my relationships. He has not been, and I'm committing to do that today. Would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand. Awesome. You can click. There's a little hand online. You can click, and there's people that can pray with you right there online. We would love to do that. 
I would like for all of us to, to just say this as we all pray together loud enough for ourselves to hear it. Father God, we come to you right now and we ask you to mend our relationship with you so we can mend our relationship with others. God, we love you. We honor you. We serve you today with all that we have and all that we are. We commit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.